Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. However, if you're looking for the most comprehensive and in-depth Houston Cougar podcast, you're definitely going to want to subscribe to the Scott Holman podcast with my guest for this show, Sam Raz. Him and Dustin Rensick do a great job over there. And I know you guys have got to be happy about Cougar basketball finally being here. But before we wander over to the Fertitta Center, I want to start off with Dana Holgerson's program, which picked up just their fourth win of the season Saturday with only one game to go. What's been your impression of Coach Holgerson and maybe give me some of the pluses and minuses that you've seen so far? It's been a tough year. It's it's kind of a year that I think was a long time coming, just given the, I think, very short, short-sighted way the last two coaches were in the program. Obviously, those two coaches, varying levels of ability there, as much as I don't like the guy in Austin right now, I would probably rate him higher than his immediate predecessor, uh, Major Applewhite. So I think that the team is dealing with a lot of just unavoidable stuff. I think going into the year, we knew this was going to be a tough schedule. We knew Memphis was going to be very good. They were bringing back most of what was a very good team a year ago. You got UCF on the schedule. Cincy has been a top 25 team the majority of the season. So we knew you're going to have to eat their, you know, teams have to eat their Wheaties. The depth situation is not good. You were going to need everyone in all the key spots to stay healthy. And you just, haven't gotten that the team had a real brutal start to the year. You had Oklahoma in week one and we kind of knew that was a loss. And, and those games are still good to have. I'm not against playing an Oklahoma, but you played that on the Sunday before Labor Day. You played Prairie View on a Saturday, which, OK, you know, Prairie View is in great shakes. But then you played Wazoo on a Friday and then Tulane on a Thursday. And by the second half, of that Tulane game, the team just looked gassed. The team looked like they'd been playing short week after short week after short week and they lost a couple of close games. And I think the ending of that two lane game pretty dramatically changed the course of the season. I think if U of age pulls that one out, maybe, you know, suffers a second half scare, but is able to put away two lane, they're two and two one and zero in conference. I think you and I, Robert are having a dramatically different conversation about Houston Cougar football. And, you know, a few days after that game comes out, Derek King's transferring, then he's not transferring and he's red shirting. And at least since then, Derek and Keith Corbin, the other player who was prominently announced was going to be redshirting 2019 and coming back for 2020, have said all the right things. And I think if you're looking for a reason to say, well, I think these guys are definitely going to leave. I, I think they've made a lot more publicly positive statements about saving with the program than you would be if you were someone inclined to leave. But I will believe both guys are going to be on this roster in 2020 when they're both participating in spring practice. So you know, you lose those two key guys at the top of your offense. That's obviously critical. But I think even more critical is the fact that Cougars have had to play 12 different offensive linemen this year. And that's just, that's not the kind of depth that any program, even Blue Bloods, are going to be able to absorb and still function at a high level. You know, last night's game against Tulsa was certainly not one that's getting sent to the College Football Hall of Fame. It was pretty ugly just because you can't sustain anything offensively with that kind of turnover, you've started three different quarterbacks. This was a team that needed to have things break their way. If they were going to have a good season this year. And I think every possible break that could have gone one way or the other has gone against the Cougars. I've seen some stuff with Dana Holgerson that I haven't been super impressed with. I thought even when healthy, our past game didn't look as good as maybe, maybe it should have. But I think for a lot of that, I just kind of give him a grade of incomplete or you can't tell just because I don't think any coach 
can absorb the kind of things that this team went through. I think we knew the defense was going to be very good. I'd hope the defense would show some signs of progress. I think they have, but I mean, the amount of progress you're able to show when Oklahoma, Central Florida, uh, Wazoo, um, SMU, Memphis, those teams on the schedule, it's going to be kind of hard to show progress when, you know, more weeks than not, you're playing an offense that's top 15 or 20 in the country. So it's kind of, you know, you've seen some good things. You've seen some negative things. I'm pretty optimistic about the amount of talent that's sitting right now, transfer wise on the defensive side of the ball. I think that that side of the ball, regardless of how 2020 ultimately goes for U of H is going to be radically improved. Whether the offense keeps up with it, obviously is the $64,000 question kind of that goes into the off season. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about the future and get into that in a little bit, but you referred to major Applewhite maybe leaving the program Baron. Was it, more that do you think than Holgerson lacking the ability to incorporate the talent that was left him? I mean, he left some good players. I'm not going to say like Derek King, Keith Corbin, Marquez Stevens. So I haven't mentioned this point and shame on me for not doing it because even with our instability to offensive line and quarterback, he still put up good numbers this year. I think should still be a first team all conference selection like he was in 2018. But I mean, Robert, it was bad enough that we didn't have a single division one cornerback when this staff showed up in January. The guy who's been our number one cornerback this year is Marion Williams. Someone the staff signed in January at the semester beginning deadline. We flipped him from SMU. He was a junior college, all American uh, in the Kansas Jayhawk league. And I think we were expecting uh, Colin Samuel, a grad transfer from UCLA who wasn't amazing at UCLA, but had started, I think five or six career games. We were very much expecting him to be the number two cornerback he got hurt during the fall camp and basically I don't think has actually gotten into a game this year. So you're dealing with that. You're dealing with um, just a defense that was just shockingly bad last year. I think the last time we've, ta- we've talked with you, we probably talked about just how awful the defense was in 2018 and somehow they were pretty upperclassmen heavy. They lost a lot of seniors, obviously Ed Oliver, who wasn't available for much of the second half of last year went, you know, went pro and, is playing for the Buffalo Bills right now. So this was going to be a defense that was resetting and resetting off a terrible season. So you know, I think to Dana not being able to incorporate guys into his system, I think, like I said earlier, I wasn't super impressed with our passing game when Derek was still playing, when the offensive line was mostly healthy. But do I think it extended? Do I think for sure it extended beyond the usual kind of growing pains you have when a new staff takes over. I don't think so. I don't think you could say that for sure. I, I think what Holgerson wants to do offensively is drastically different than what Kendall Bryles wants to do offensively. I think it's easy to armchair quarterback and look and say, well, these are both, you know, spread offenses that can go quick and score a lot of points. And, you know, don't realize that what Kendall Bryles wanted to do offensively and what Dana Holgerson wanted to do offensively are quite different. I think, 2020 is when you really start judging because the team's now going to have a true full off season in the staff system. And if the offense still looks hit or miss in 2020, I think you have to start asking questions chief among them. Should Dana be calling plays or should Dana be focusing more on the dudes as a head coach? Cause his last few years at West Virginia, he was not calling plays. So I think that'd be the first question you ask, but I don't think we've reached that stage just yet. 
I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, as somebody that, you know, just would like to see U of H do well and has watched the program and you see Derek King and this guy's one of the most explosive quarterbacks in the in the country. And and with Derek, it, it was a deal where, you know, you figured coming into the season, they should win eight games just because Derek King's still the quarterback. And, you know, he's, even if you have a bad offensive line, he makes it good. Now that you've got a little bit of hindsight, was Derek King mishandled by Dana Holgerson because it, it wasn't the same Derek King. I don't care who the competition was the first four games of the season. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if Derek King fits what Dana Holgerson wants to do as well as what Kendall Browse wants to do. And I don't think you. I don't think you can run the exact same offense as the last staff without having the last staff here. Dana isn't gonna scrap what he's done for all these years and all of a sudden start doing what what Kendall's done. I, I think could he have done more to fit Dierk into what he's doing. You know, maybe I don't think we played badly offensively the first several games. I thought it was a wazoo was a little hit or miss, but I mean, if you look at the points and yards tolls against Oklahoma and Tulane, I I think the problem against Oklahoma and Tulane wasn't the offense. It was the fact that uh, we were just horribly outmatched. Well, I mean, let me ask you, because the OU game, I, I want to ask you about that one, because the, I, I'm watching that game in the first half. It's it's the offense can't get get a first down. And, and and then OU quickly gets you into a hole because their offense is on the field the entire time. And boom, you're behind. And De'Aaron King, you know, he can he can get some numbers in the second half when maybe OU eases up a little bit. But it just it, it wasn't it wasn't the same Derek King. Yeah, they they would look good as the game went on. But when you start off bad and you've got a defense that's bad to begin with and you're, you're leaving them on the field. I mean, yeah, the defense is going to be a problem. But to me, as Derek King uh, was wasn't the same. I, I don't know if there's any other way to spin it. And 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 to me, that how can Dana Holgerson come in and, and not do something with Derek King with the, with the amount of talent he he has? He is the prototype quarterback, not only in college but in the NFL these days. He can run, he can throw, he can do everything. I mean, he was missing open guys against those teams, so he didn't look like the same Derek King. Like that's that's a question that that we didn't have an answer to. I think we were pretty surprised when we saw. It. I think we expected a lot more than what we got from the offense through the four, first four games. And if you want to kind of keep that in your back pocket and say, well, it's not a guarantee this team gets better in 2020. I would agree with that, but just, he looks like a guy learning a new offense and this is Derek's fourth different OC in four college seasons. So it's, there's going to eventually be a learning curve. You're going to eventually have that level of just lack of continuity catch up with you. And I think it caught up with Derek and the staff and it's caught up with every other phase of this team. Yeah, I mean that's I guess that that that's my main concern with Holgerson moving forward. I mean, this is the fourth season in the last seventeen that the Cougs haven't played in a poll game. Do you have a good idea yet of how much talent he's gonna have to work with next season and how quickly they can, you know, get it back to their traditional winning ways? Oh yeah, we're gonna I, I think it would start defensively where we have a lot of sit out transfers. Uh Yabi Anoma, who was Nick Saban's highest ever rated defensive signee. Uh, is going to be eligible next year as a pass rusher. He played uh, every game in 2018 for Alabama, sitting out the season per transfer rules, should start pretty much the moment the 2020 season begins. He's going to be a difference maker. Marcus Jones, who was an all-sunbelt quarterback, freshman All-American at Troy, should be starting opposite to Marion Williams. I think that'll help a couple guys who set out this year also. Tabo Mwaniki, who was um, a true freshman, uh, all-Big 12 at Oklahoma State 
And also Gleason Sprewell, a guy who was expected to be a difference maker in the back end, who's missed the majority of this season and should be back in 2020 with two more years of eligibility left. I think that's where it starts defensively. And I think also you've gotten a lot of sophomores and juniors who didn't have a lot of D1 experience, serious experience. And that's why I'm pretty optimistic and pretty certain that 2020 is going to get better on that side of the ball. Offensively, I think the big question you know, has to be first is Derek King back? I think we can't just, I, I, I think he'll be back, but I don't think we can be a hundred percent on that until he's actually in spring ball with this team. And I think the team will be better for the fact that the offensive line, such as it is, has gotten a lot more experience. You've gotten a lot of the younger receivers behind Keith Corbin experience this year. Guys like Jeremy Singleton, Trevon Bradley, uh, Bryson Smith, um, Mark West Stevenson, if he's back, because I think he's had an outstanding year. And I don't think, I, I think an NFL team would draft him if he decided to go after the season. So I think that's at least a, question mark whether he goes whether he stays but if he's back having Marquez Stevenson Keith Corbin an offensive line that can't possibly be more beat up in you know in 2020 as it was in 2019 you know with a, just a much more experienced team and I think that's part of why they did the registering thing in the first place was that it was a bridge because we looked ahead to 2020 and we thought wow the defense looks like it's going to get a lot better but you're projected to lose Derek King. You're projected to lose Keith Corbin. Mulbacar, a guy that mentioned to this point, who in his four games this year has just looked outstanding. He looked like the best difference maker in the run game this team has, and the staff wanted to bring him back for 2020, so they sat him the remainder of the season. You get all those guys. I think this is going to be a good offense. I think at least one or two of the really good AAC West teams, because the division's just been absolutely brutal this year. SMU's having its best season post-death penalty. Navy looks like a top 25 team. Memphis looks like the best group of five team in the country right now. I think there's going to be those teams taking a little bit of a step back. And I think U of H will be right in the mix with those teams this year. I guess, you know, the question is, you know, were the one or two wins that you probably get with D'Eric being healthy and this team may be going seven and five and going to a bowl game worth potentially resetting on offense in 2020 and not being a serious contender. And it's, it's risky, but you're, you're either, you know, risking that you're going to have the offensive reset in 2020 and you're going to waste a really good defense or, you know, you risk Derek deciding, hey, maybe I'll go somewhere where, you know, play with a coach that actually knows at least has proven over a season to how, use my ability. It's it's a big open question. I'll admit who's the quarterback if it's not Derek Clayton Tim, who I actually feel pretty optimistic about. He's playing hurt right now. I think he's a he's a solid runner. He's not a difference maker like Derek. He's looked Better. And I want to couch this very much this year because Dierk was outstanding in 2018 and Dierk has a significantly better body of work in college right now than Clayton Toon, who's only a true sophomore. But I've seen some things I like from him. He's made some difficult throws. He's hit open guys that Dierk missed. I remember watching the North Texas game and thinking, wow, this is actually a little closer to what I thought this offense was going to look like with Dana Holgerson than what we saw in the first three games where we were able to run the ball to high level, but the past game was kind of all over the place. So it's it's either going to be Clayton Toon or De'Aaron King in 2020. And I think I, I think ideally, you know, you get both guys back and you have a serious quarterback competition and De'Aaron King comes into 2020 having actually beaten a serious contender out for the job as opposed to, you know, to use, I guess, the boxing analogy, beating some tomato cans and being named a starting job. You have everyone in every position, including De'Aaron at quarterback, getting seriously pushed for the job. And 
hopefully you're better in 2024. Although, again, many questions unanswered there. Well, Sam, I'm guessing you're just totally devastated about Kevin Sumlin and Tom Herman's troubles. <laughs> uh, it's something we talk about off air all the time. Just the uh, the, the ways that uh, Kevin Sumlin, Tom Herman, and for very, very different, much more obviously serious reasons, Art Bryles' careers have gone sideways post-Houston. It's almost as if Houston was a big part of that equation and not just the guys wearing the visors on the sidelines. Well, don't leave the Houston Cougar program football high and dry or God will punish you. I think that's the lesson here. <laughs> I, think, I think so. The sample size of three has clearly clearly proven that without a uh, shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Let me slide over to the basketball program. Uh, a couple early losses already. Early frustrating buzzer beater to BYU. 12-point loss to 11th ranked Oregon on Friday. Are you seeing things, though, that have you excited despite the losses? The talent level is super high on the team. I think it's a kind of friendly reminder to our fans that this isn't plug and play that Corey Davis, Galen Robinson, Armani Brooks were three great college guards, three absolute bulldogs who embodied you know, on the court, everything that Samson wants his teams to be, but just the talent level is so good. You're starting three top hundred guys in the backcourt in Dejan Giroux, Nate Hinton and Quentin Grimes, who has been, he's been kind of hit or miss. I think like a lot of the guys he's trying to figure out his role on the team, but in that second half against Rice, he was just unconscious. He was unstoppable. He was a five star playing with a bunch of guys who probably weren't five stars. I think the big challenge with this team so far has been playing the kind of elite team defense that Kelvin Sampson demands. And I think the early schedule hasn't helped. They've played a few perimeter oriented teams. And if I had to give you this team's biggest weakness right now, it's the perimeter. It's making three pointers because I don't think this team has the natural three-point shooters last team has. And it's just defending him. Mean, we've seen a lot of times this year where guys look confused about exactly where they're supposed to be or they figure out where they're supposed to be a second too late and someone on Rice or BYU or Oregon nails an open three because those are teams, you know, well-suited to take advantage of teams struggling in the perimeter. So if I had to give you the biggest weakness right now, it's been, you know, one, making shots of perimeter consistently because we just don't have the natural shooters. And two, getting those talented young guards, you know, getting used to playing the level of defense Kelvin Sampson expects. I think it's the kind of thing that comes with time. It's easy to forget that in Sampson's fourth year. So the beginning of Corey Davis, Davis's junior year, Rob Gray's senior year, the first team that was truly a high level under Kelvin Sampson here. We lost to Drexel and were a, you know, layup at the buzzer away from losing to Liberty, you know, in, in a season where we ended up being a top 25 team that was a buzzer beater away from beating Michigan. Uh, we certainly didn't look like a top 25 team out of the gates. And I think this is kind of a repeat of that is a bunch of new and talented guys kind of figure out what they're supposed to be and just what this team's identity is. I think we don't know it exactly. I think we've gotten an idea from the first several games here. This is more of a slashing team. This is a team that definitely has more length than we've seen from a Houston Cougar team under Kelvin Sampson. I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the talent, but it's, it's still a team kind of, trying to figure out what they're supposed to be and you know meet the high standards of this coaching staff. Yeah, you touched on something. I, I was thinking exactly the same thing you were. You know, you expect to lose Corey and Galen, but I just can't imagine anybody expected Armani Brooks to go pro. The move still has me scratching my head, although I'm sure the G League is pumped about Armani playing for the Skyhawks or whatever. But, you know, his loss took away one of the best three-point shooters in the, in the program's history, and I thought that'd leave him with a big weakness because – you know, Deke Giroux, I love him, but his major deficiency is range. 
yeah, he's not he's not an outside shooter. He's a he's a slasher. He's a creator. Maybe the occasional three pointer. But you know, I thought he was good about that last year. He didn't take very many threes. But when he did, he generally made a pretty good percentage of them because he was really picking his spots. He was really selective about when he decided to shoot because it's like you said, it's definitely not his strength. And I think maybe he's felt some pressure to kind of try and create offense in the absence of Corey and Galen Armani, who are now gone. I think he's kind of pressed some to that degree. It doesn't help that he broke his hand during fall camp. And I think he's still in terms of fitness and ability kind of in preseason mode. I think that's one thing that's held back this team that the best creator isn't, you know, isn't all there yet. I think he will eventually, he went through something similar last year when he, I think it was, he broke a finger and also his grandmother died at the beginning of the season. He missed some time dealing with all that stuff. And by the, by mid season, he was the conference's best sixth man. So you'd like to think that he'll work through some of this guys will figure out their roles and he'll go back to being the high level player that he is. And just like, like a lot of these guys still a lot to figure out. You figure Kelvin Sampson team is just going to figure it out defensively. I mean, they're going to start putting it together. Is this all about if they want to go dancing again next year? Is this just about the offense and, and what it's capable of? I think the defense will get better. I think Oregon is a torture test for this team. I think Oregon is going to be, when it's all said and done, the toughest team on the Cougs schedule. I mean, we saw Oregon beat Memphis with James Wiseman head-to-head, and I think we probably, before the season, had penciled James Wiseman and Memphis being the toughest game, and you learned a lot about themselves on Friday. They learned that need a lot of work at the perimeter, need to figure out a way to score that doesn't require bombing three-pointers because they just aren't terribly good at it. And I think, I think we ended up shooting... Two of 20 uh, from deep against Oregon. That's obviously not ideal. I think Oregon is especially good perimeter defensive team. They reminded me a lot of what we were last year. They had senior guards and talented underclassmen. And now we're kind of trying to figure out ourselves lives without those senior guards and figuring out how to get those talented underclassmen to play at the same level as those guys. You know, I, I think motivation wise, I think it's almost easier in a way to get guys like Corey Davis, Rob Gray, Armani Brooks, Galen Robinson, guys who were, you know, solid high school players, but did not come into Houston as big time recruits. Did, came in kind of with a chip on their shoulder. And it's, a, I think, a bit more of a challenge to get get guys who came in, you know, with, with some level of pedigree. Samson obviously isn't bringing in prima donnas, but I think, you know, getting that level of buy-in and getting that level of effort maybe is a little more difficult from, you know, younger guys who came in with a bit you know, more in terms of a high school or, you know, whatever other college they played for pedigree. Yeah, it feels like this is going to be one of those years where Kelvin is going to show us if he's somebody that can consistently keep up the level, you know, with the drop off of, you know, you lose a couple of guys, you got to be able to bring in some some guys and incorporate them quickly. And, and, and that consistency really is where the Cougars move from. Oh, every now and then they're a nice story to oh, the Cougars, you know, they're going to be there every single year. They're going to be a tournament team. Uh, they're going to be difficult. I mean, is that is that what you're thinking with with uh, this year and, and kind of as a measuring stick? I mean, this is this team isn't going to go 33 and four like last year's team did. Last year's team was really special. That's not the t- kind of team we're going to have every year. Even if Kelvin Sampson, I think, keeps up the high level of play that's coming here, which I think he will. If I had to guess, I think this team will be a seven to, somewhere between a seven to nine seed in the tournament. When it's all said and done, not where last year's team was at, but I think a team that's going to be playing its best basketball in March because 
even in the NIT seasons, Kelvin Sampson pretty consistently had the team playing well at the end of the season. I think we'll be a better team. When we're talking about the Houston Cougars in March as opposed to now and late November. I think the team will be, will be better for the lumps they've taken this year. I think it's been more educational for this team to play two top hundred teams as opposed to what the rest of the AAC has done to this point, which is play sub 200 Ken Palm teams. I mean, it's great if, you know, if you and I are here talking about the four and Houston Cougars, you know, with four wins over not very good teams, but I don't, you know, the point of a basketball season isn't to go undefeated. The point of the basketball season is to play well enough, obviously to be in the dance in March first and foremost, and to be also playing your best basketball that time of year. It's, it's great if a team, you know, gets out to 11 and 0 start, um, but that doesn't mean a whole lot if you're, you know, floundering come March or if you haven't taken care of business and conference and you're a stretch to make the tournament. I think that's what I want to see from this non-conference. You know, if we come out of it with a more, well, we're guaranteed to come out of it with a more ugly win loss record than last year because the last team uh, didn't lose a single non-conference game. But if we're better for it, I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. I think I want to see the steers team make the tournament. Uh, 2020, 2021 should be really good. Houston signed a top 20 recruiting class. Most of these guys will be back next year. I'm not exactly sure who we're technically going to be over on scholarships next year if everyone decides to come back. So I'm guessing Grimes or Jarreau will probably move on to the pro ranks after this year. But, you know, I think it'll be valuable. I think we're going to go into next year with a lot of guys who took their lumps this year. And I think we're going to look I think we're going to look a lot more like last year's team a year from now than we are right now. Some things. Some things are no substitute for the experience of, you know, just playing college basketball and sometimes, you know, taking a black eye because, you know, you played Oregon and they were just so much better than you right at that moment. Yeah. Preach it to the choir, strength to schedule. Yeah, that's that's uh, absolutely I'm all all in on that. But uh, let me get to the, the games that you're looking forward to in the Fertitta Center and. I assume Memphis and James Wiseman is on your list. It looks like we're lucky and, and they aren't scheduled till March 8th, which which is a Sunday, which is kind of cool. It's a 11 a.m. game. But is there any other games in the schedule that, that got you excited at the Fertitta Center? Yeah, Oklahoma State. I don't, I don't think they're going to be an elite Big 12 team this year, but they're a lot more talented than they were a year ago, I think. Just for those of you who are general basketball fans, a, a year from now, they should be really good. I think they just signed one of the very top uh, 2020 prospects, this kid, I think Cunningham, maybe I'm wrong on the name, but they should be better this year. I think I'm looking forward to that. Um, and in conference, since he is always a rock fight, uh, since he you know, has a new coach now, they're a little bit more offensive minded than ever under Nick Cronin, Mick Cronin, excuse me, but they should be pretty good. Memphis, as you mentioned, Wichita State's supposed to be a lot better this year. They're going to look a lot more like the Wichita State that, has been kind of a tournament mainstay the last seven or eight years than a year ago when they just completely had to reset their roster you know, after they lost a huge senior class. So yeah, I think the Wichita, Cincy, Memphis will be a really good one. And uh, UCon- UConn, believe it or not, I think there's going to be actually some juice to that one. A lot of the league uh, wants to take out their frustrations on UConn in their last year before they uh, go back to the new Big East. So it's just, it's a, I would say other than East Carolina um, and like Tulsa, that this is a pretty good year for AAC hoops. If you see Houston playing an AAC team, even other than the ones I've mentioned here, it should be a better game than it's ever been before. I think top to bottom, the league has started to figure out basketball. And last year you saw a deeper league than prior to that. And I think this is an even better year 
Um, it should be good. Even if you're not seeing a marquee matchup, the Fertitta Center is, I, I can't even describe how much nicer it is than Hoffine's Pavilion. So it's a good experience. Even if you're not someone who's a huge Houston Cougar fan, I would recommend anyone in the Houston area go catch a game at the Fertitta Center. I still am pinching myself every time I go there that I'm not going to see basketball at a million year old Hoffines, you know, Hoffines Pavilion. I'm going to see it at a like state of the art, nice arena with, you know, good sight lines and everything that comes with that. You mean you don't miss the smell of mold? (laughs) (laughs) Or just like just the cloud of dust coming up as I plop down into a seat or those uh, awful like World War II bunker style looking uh, suites. No, Robert, I uh, can't say (laughs) as much as I have a lot of, you know, good memories of watching not very good basketball the last 10 or so years in Hoffines Pavilion. Uh, I think we were all as a fan base pretty ready to move on from uh, the old building. Any other good stories going on with uh, the Cougar program? One thing I, I, I thought I saw yesterday was that they signed a, a pitcher, the pitcher from Santa Fe that uh, had been shot. Is that right? Yeah. And he's in not to take away from the fact that obviously um, the tragic Santa Fe shooting and Rome Schubert being shot in the head during it. Uh, Rome Schubert is a very, very good baseball player. I think I'm not going to you know go in depth on the baseball recruiting here. But Houston signed a very good 2020 class. They brought in a new pitching coach two seasons ago, and he took on the mantle of recruiting coordinator. And it's been kind of a long time coming for a couple of years now. The 2020 class was looking pretty good. They were very aggressive. They ended up losing a couple of kids to the bigger names. But I think when you're Houston, that's the strategy you have to you have to aggressively go after the best kids. And you know what? If you lose a couple of them to a bigger name, you're still probably going to end up you know, on the positive. They're still going to end up on a class with pretty good players opposed to, you know, just saying, Oh, we'll go after guys who are safe targets. I think they didn't do that. They went aggressive and, you know, I think the team will be better in the long term for that. So that was cool. Um, the track program is, is going to be very good. That's, that's a long ways off, but sometime in May university of Houston track should be in the national championship picture. Again, that's always a fun thing for us to follow. We had Carl Lewis on our podcast in June, which was for me a pretty starstruck moment to be talking with Carl Lewis, uh, on my little podcast, but he's very bullish on the long-term picture of the program. He's an assistant coach. They brought in some transfers who should keep the program at a high level. They lost some seniors, but you know, it's, it's just top to bottom as much as the football season has been incredibly frustrating. And almost from my perspective, just being honest, feels like a job to watch university of Houston football. I actually, I didn't watch the game live last night. I went to a friend's giving and this morning set an alarm. So I'd have enough time to rewatch the game before we record today's podcast. And I don't know, man, that kind of feels more like a job than fanhood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Top to bottom. The program is despite that in you know pretty good shape. A lot of the Olympic sports and non-revenue sports doing really well at their level or showing positive signs for the future, which is, is what you want as an athletic department. You have, we've had some years in the past where football was really good and everything else was just kind of hold your nose when you looked at it. And that is, Absolutely not the case for University of Houston Athletics. I would say probably in my 13, 14 years of following the athletics closely, this is top to bottom the best it's been. And that's even with football, you know, underperforming as to, you know, historic expectations. Carl Lewis, you got to put him on that Mount Rushmore of Houston athletes. I mean, is it, is it him, Dream, Drexler, and Elvin Hayes? Am I missing Am I missing anybody that should be in that Mount Rushmore top four? I couldn't put anyone above the four you mentioned. There are other like worthy athletes, but right there, that's the four. And it's pretty incredible to think that uh, at least 
three of those guys were at the University of Houston in a very short period of time there in the 1980s and Dream Drexler and uh, Carl Lewis. Yeah, two of the four still doing stuff with the program. Obviously, Elvin's doing uh, stuff on the radio, so it's, it's good to have those guys just hanging around. Tell people how they can find your show and, and find you guys on Twitter and, and, and all social media. Yeah, so we're on Twitter at SH Podcast, S-H-P-A-W-D-Cast, talking all things Houston Cougar sports. We'll occasionally foray into general Houston sports, also general college and pro sports, but University of Houston uh, sports is our bread and butter. Uh, we're also on Facebook at, you can search the Scott and Holm Podcast, find us there, Instagram, SH Podcast, and really anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, that was pretty cool. Uh, we finally got ourselves on Spotify Search the Scott and Holman podcast, P-A-W-D cast, and you'll find us there and listen and subscribe. We put out two episodes a week on average, you know, depending on obviously schedules in life and whatnot. But if you want Houston Cougar talk, I don't think there's anyone else providing it as thoroughly as we do. So give us a listen. Yeah, you said it. There, There is nobody that that is the place to go if you want Houston Cougar sports talk. And it, it's just they're so comprehensive. Everything. And uh, Dustin obviously brings you down a little bit, but we'll forgive him for that. Uh, (laughs) Hey, Dustin, we we miss you, brother. Uh, Thanks for doing this, Sam. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Anytime. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.